Tonight, Jacob moves to Bethel. Bethel was originally called Luz and is 12 miles north of Jerusalem. Abraham stopped by Luz on his way to Negev to offer a sacrifice. In Genesis 28, Jacob changed the name from Luz to Bethel because he met God there. After all, Bethel means house of God. Fun fact, in Hebrew, El, like E-L, means God. So like Elohim, El Shaddai, El has God in the name. Actually, there's lots of biblical names that have El in it, including Michael, which means close to God. Anyways, Bethel is named the house of God, and when Jacob goes there again after coming back from Padamaran, he calls it El Bethel, literally meaning God of the house of God. Here Jacob buried Deborah, the nurse of Rebekah. And it was actually a logical place because it lays on a well-known route from the plain of Esdalron to Beersheba. When Joshua conquered Canaan, Bethel went to the tribe of Benjamin. At a later period when the kingdom was divided, King Jeroboam set up Bethel as one of two cities for the northern kingdom to come and to worship golden calves. Because of this sin and, well, other sins, prophets such as Hosea called it Beth-even, meaning the house of trouble. It wasn't until Josiah was king that idolatry was finally removed from Bethel and true worship of the Lord established. So there you go. A little bit about Bethel, and that's enough today for our historical minute. All right, well, let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, Dear God, we thank you for this gift of tonight where we can come into your house to worship you and uh, a place where, as well, we can dive into the book of Genesis. We thank you for Genesis because uh, this book of beginnings and there's just so much that we can learn today in 2018. So we pray, Lord, that tonight's the night where we can really uh, connect to you and to your word and all this we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're with us, uh, we have been in uh, Genesis, and we are tonight in Genesis 35. So if you have a Bible, we invite you to open up to Genesis 35. Uh, There are uh, going to be the words on the screen, so you can follow along that way. But it's also kind of neat to bring your Bible and take notes and things like that as well. And if you're really cool and you have like an iPad or an iPhone or something like that that has uh, the Bible on there and you can put notes on there. I think that's really cool. Um, And I want to give you the Wi-Fi password. Uh, So this is worth its weight in gold. Are you guys ready for this? (laughs) Um, If you go to SMLC Public and then type in St. Mark PHX, like just that lowercase one word, S-T-M-A-R-K-P-H-X, you type that in and then anywhere you are on campus here, uh, you will be connected to our Wi-Fi. And actually, one of the strongest signals is, is in the courtyard. So as you're hanging out with people, you could have really strong Wi-Fi in the courtyard. So there you go. Um, but as well, we do have the capabilities where you can text in questions. So if you are, are hearing something tonight that uh, you have a question about, it could be related. It could be, as we've also seen in the past, entirely off topic, and that's okay too. Um, but you can text your questions here. And I've, speaking of iPads, I've got an iPad up here that I'll receive uh, those questions on. So uh, in Genesis 35, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. But before we get into verse 5, we have to recap a little bit of what happened last week. So if you weren't here last week, um, hey, this is a good review uh, from Genesis 34. What happened in Genesis 34 is, is actually kind of, um, I mean, it's a real, raw, horrible story, okay? Uh, one of the things I absolutely love about the Bible is that because it's real, and because events in the Bible actually happen, and they record them as such, they don't really sugarcoat it. Or you know how sometimes when 
you hear someone tell a story and they just completely sugarcoat it and you're like, mm, I was there, it wasn't like that, <laughs> you know? The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible just spells it out as is, uh, including our heroes, like in- including Abraham, who is such a godly person, uh, makes mistakes, including Jacob, who's a godly person, makes mistakes, and those mistakes are recorded. And, and, and what happened in Genesis 34, um, it's, it's messed up because we have... Um, Jacob's daughter, so the uh, sister of Jacob's um, sons, if you will, the the brothers. And these guys are going to come up later tonight if we get there in Genesis uh, 37. But these these guys, um, they got really, really mad at the people of the town of Shechem because they had defiled their sister Dinah, okay? And, And yeah, that's absolutely wrong. It's, it's not okay. Um, but really, what does God say? God says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? And, and for them, they decided to take vengeance into their own hands. And so they wanted revenge. They wanted to get back at these people. So they actually devised this plan that was actually pretty clever, but incredibly horrible, okay? Uh, they, they devised this plan where they said, because after the guy had defiled the sister Dinah, he actually wanted to marry her. I guess this was kind of a common thing back then. And so uh, he asked for permission to, to marry her. And the brothers came back and said, well, you know, we're all Jewish people here and we're all circumcised. And in order to be in our family, uh, not only you, but, but all the townspeople have to get circumcised. And as a male adult, okay, ouch, that's got to be painful, right? And that's exactly what happened, but they actually did it. And then while they were weak and while they had this uh, impairment, then they went in the city and they plundered the city and they killed a lot of the men there, okay? And, and so they got revenge. They got revenge on uh, what happened to their sister Dinah. And, and for, then they come back and they tell Jacob this. And Jacob's response is not, whoa, 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 that's a really horrible thing. Because after all it is, because it's not only murder and and revenge and all that kind of stuff, but as well what it is, it's especially the circumcision part. That was the sign of the covenant, man. You you remember that back in uh, Genesis 14 and Genesis 12, that, that, um, that God is making this sign with Abraham. And, and it's meant to be something um, that is sacred. And, and to use it as a weapon to get revenge on people. How dare you? And, and that was not Jacob's response. Jacob's response was, oh no, they're going to come and kill us now. <laughs> and, um, which is kind of an interesting response. It's, he's more concerned about the consequence of the sin than the actual sin. you know. And, but he's right though. Uh, that's what's going to happen. They're going to want to come. And so now... They have to move. So Jacob and his family, they've kind of been on the move. Uh, You know, like every few years, it's like they're having to move from one place to the other. And now they're kicked out of this town because of what uh, Jacob's sons had done. And so God calls them to arise and to leave. And so that picks us up in verse 5, which says this. um, As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So this here is huge, because even though they absolutely blew it, and they did something that was incredibly wrong and sinful, um, God is still such a loving and patient God that he's still with them, and, and he's going to protect them. So this is God's providence showing up here. This is God's protection. 
where he's going to provide for his people. So uh, for these guys, what happens is he sends a terror for all the cities around them um, where they choose not to pursue Jacob and his family. Because after all, if, if they would have just arose and gone after Jacob and his family, then it would have been a slaughter. And that really would have been the end of all this. Because after all, wasn't Abraham and then also Jacob as well promised uh, the descendants and promised this land? It would have all ended actually right here. The Bible would have been very short. All right. But uh, God actually protects them and sends this terror to the neighboring cities. And then it says this, And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So this is referencing a previous time when he uh, fled from uh, Esau. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. And then it says this in verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Okay, so to kind of unpack this just a little bit, here he meets God once again in this place called Bethel, the, the house of God, as he calls it. And um, what's interesting is that God is, first starts off by reaffirming Jacob's name. See, if, if you remember a couple of chapters previously, and I believe it was Genesis 32, where uh, Jacob actually wrestles God. And um, while Jacob is, is wrestling God, at the end of it, God renames Jacob from Jacob to Israel. And so Israel, by the way, literally means one who wrestles with God. So now that makes sense, doesn't it? Why uh, Jacob would be named that while he was wrestling with God. Um, but whenever he renames him, uh, essentially what he's doing here is, it's kind of the age-old question of what's in a name, right? Um, but it has to do with this identity. And, and, and Jacob, by the way, uh, kind of really means like deceiver, okay? And, and really, we've seen that with Jacob. If you've been with us uh, the past few weeks, we've seen Jacob, whenever he was first born, He's holding his brother Esau's heel. And that just describes the relationship that the two had. Um, you know, I have a twin. Uh, and we were actually born 31 short and painless minutes later. All right? As I tell my mom that, she gives me this look like, mm-hmm, 31 short. That's pretty long for twins. But, you know, but for these guys, they came out literally 
Jacob was holding the heel of his brother. And, uh, and Jacob was actually given the, uh, was actually given the, uh, the inheritance and the, the blessing and the promise from God that he's going to, uh, to receive all the inheritance like a firstborn would. So rather than it all going to Esau, it's instead going to go to Jacob. All right. Um, and actually, what's kind of interesting is that God even uses Jacob's um, deceivingness or his shrewdness or whatever you want to call it um, in, in different ways to actually receive um, the birthright whenever he tricks him with the, the soup. You guys remember that? Um, and then also later, whenever he tricks Jacob uh, into, or excuse me, whenever he tricks uh, Isaac into giving him the blessing, whenever he uh, pretends to be Esau. And, and so uh, Jacob is, is kind of this, um, you know, if you just kind of, you kind of know people that, that are just really slick, you know, I mean, they're really uh, kind of the fast talker, right? Kind of good with the words. Um, they, they can, you know, sell snow to an Eskimo kind of a person. Uh, that's who Jacob is. And, and so, so yes, he is Jacob. Yes, he is this kind of deceiver, but as well, he's given this other name of Israel. And really, that's going to be so much of his identity from here on out. Um, even right here at this point, uh, whenever he's at Bethel and he's meeting God, um, he's, it's, it's full of, of honoring God. It's, it's full of building an altar. Um, there was a pillar that was already there from the first time he was there. And he turns the pillar into an altar to worship God. And then after that, he builds another pillar to remember the second time. And so we have Jacob here as one who is uh, just an incredibly uh, faithful person. Uh, just one who is, is, is so full of worship right here. And so, so much of his identity is, is, is uh, you know, and that's the reason why God is reminding him of his name change is Israel. And in fact, uh, Jacob and Israel are going to be used kind of interchangeably throughout the rest of Genesis and the remaining 15 chapters. But what's interesting is that it's not quite one for one, but it kind of is, is that the times where Jacob is, is the most faithful or when Jacob is the most God-honoring, that's when you see his name be referred to as Israel. And then maybe some other times when he's not as much, uh, he's referred to as Jacob. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But he was already renamed, but in 35 here, God is, is reminding him of of that name change, of that, uh, that you are Jacob, but you are also Israel, one who wrestles with God. Okay, so let's continue. In uh, verse 16, it says this, Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, which his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on, and see, Jacob is now referred to as Israel. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent before the tower of Eder. 
So to kind of pause here for just a little bit, um, we have loss now. We have, we have someone who had a, uh, well, it wasn't just someone, it was Rachel. Um, you know, Jacob had, um, he had multiple wives, and um, Rachel was one who he kind of seemed to be the most fond of, I guess, if you will. And so for him to, to lose Rachel in childbirth like this, um, has just got to be devastating, you know, and this is, and this is true really for, uh, we can all relate to this, this is grief right here. It's whenever you, you lose someone close to you. And, and so for Jacob, you know, having come out of Bethel, um, or excuse me, having come out of Shechem and now they're in Bethel, and then to, uh, while he's here in Bethel, um, not only to set up an altar to worship God, but then also to experience loss and to experience grief. And so, um, and so he, he's, he's going through a hard time here. He really is. This is uh, not something that's going to be easy for him. And then it even gets worse. Are you guys ready for this? Uh, verse 22 says this. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went. Reuben, by the way, is not just the king of sandwiches. Okay. Like, for sure, if it's on the menu, I'm ordering it, you know. Uh, but... Uh, he is the oldest son of, uh, of Jacob here. And that's important because we're, we're going to read something gross. You guys ready for this? Uh, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. So um, a concubine back then was, was kind of like a wife, uh, except without as much rights as a wife would. Um, although it, it kind of seems like the Bible uses um, Bilhah's, um, uh, her, her title, her position, if you will, interchangeably because in uh, a later chapter it refers to um, uh, Bilhah as one of Jacob's wives, okay? <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me, wow, that came out of nowhere. Pardon me. Um, but here we have Bilhah, and so, so Bilhah is, you know, for sure, I mean, it's his concubine or, or wife or whatever, I mean, is, is definitely, um, you know, his father's, okay? And then we have Reuben, his son, what does he do? He goes and he lays with her. Gross, all right? I mean, we have, we have incest in this family. Come on, man, are you kidding me? So, so now Jacob, who... Um, you know, just is grieving the loss of Rachel, you know, now has to deal with this. And, and so for Jacob, he's, he's kind of uh, experienced, his problems are kind of compounding, if you will. And then it says this, now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah was Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, uh, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and that's important later. Um, and then the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah were Leah's servant, were um, Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in uh, Aram. Okay, so these uh, 12 sons here are later going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. So whenever, um, so not only are they going to later identify as, hey, I am part of 
the tribe of Benjamin, or I am part of the tribe of Judah. Okay, um, they are, uh, especially whenever they inherit the promised land, it also becomes geographical because whenever they inherit the promised land, when they go into Canaan, they divide up that region um, according to tribes, okay? So, you know, Judah gets this section, um, you know, Benjamin gets this section, and so forth. And so we have uh, the 12 tribes here uh, are the, the 12 sons of, uh, of Jacob. And then it says this in 27, and Jacob came to his father Isaac at uh, Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So again, so just kind of more grieving (laughs) with with Jacob. This is um, kind of a hard chapter for Jacob, it really is. Uh, So now he's, he's burying his father, although I guess at 180, you know, he lived a full life. It even says that, right? Um, and note as well that, that Esau helped bury Jacob, or helped bury Isaac. And so the two brothers are now uh, burying their father. And that's important because if you remember a couple chapters ago, um, whenever Jacob stole the blessing from, uh, from Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill him, and ran Jacob out of town. And Jacob was gone for uh, like, what, 20, 20 years, right? And then uh, later gets to meet Esau. And, and Esau, who 20 years ago said, I'm going to kill him over this, was, was now uh, very forgiving. And, and so the two brothers who were once clashing, uh, like even in the womb they were clashing, um, but now have essentially kind of settled their differences. And, and the point where now they can actually come and they can together bury their father. And, and you know, really, I got to say that, um, you know, we've seen this in families where, uh, you know, families can be divided for a whole host of reasons, right? Um, you know, where uh, someone will say something to someone or someone will do something to someone. And, and there can just be divide. But, but ultimately, um, what we saw in the character of Esau was, was Esau was able to uh, forgive and was able to overcome those emotions of wanting to kill his brother. Um, pretty extreme, but hey, you know, it's, it's what happened, right? And, uh, and Esau was able to just offer grace. And, and that's what mended their relationship from, from then on out. And, and so by Esau offering forgiveness and grace, uh, the, the two were reconciled and they were able to to, to bury their father. And in fact, um, even though that Jacob inherited the birthright and the, the promise and all of that kind of stuff um, and, and the inheritance of what a firstborn would get, um, Esau was not abandoned and he was not left alone or poor or something like that. He was definitely not in the poorhouse. Uh, what we find with Esau is that even whenever he meets Jacob for the first time after the 20 years, that Esau's got with him all sorts of uh, livestock and all sorts of, 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 of servants and people to help. And so really, um, he's, not, he's not in the poorhouse. Uh, Esau, um, even though that he did not inherit what the amount of Jacob would inherit, God still provided. God still looked after homeboy Esau here. 
and still, um, and still blessed him tremendously. And in fact, that's what we see in our next chapter here. So that was kind of a segue into uh, chapter 36. Before I get into chapter 6, okay, all right. Here's a, here's a, a good question, and I'm going to do my best to answer it, all right? Um, but here's what it says. Before we get into chapter 36, it says, uh, why was it okay to have multiple wives in the Old Testament, and when did that change? Okay, so um, God's plan all along has been uh, one man and one woman. We saw that in the garden, right? We saw that with Adam and Eve. Um, there weren't uh, multiple partners, multiple spouses. Um, and so, so, so really God has instituted marriage between one man and one woman. Um, however, in that time, it was not explicitly uh, forbidden, okay? Uh, at that time in the Old Testament, there was not a law that God had created that explicitly uh, forbade polygamy or bigamy, uh, whichever. And so, uh, so that's why you have people like Abraham who takes on multiple wives, Jacob who takes on multiple wives. Uh, Isaac just took on one wife. And, uh, and his, his life was, was not complicated uh, by polygamy. So that's the other thing. Even though that it wasn't explicitly commanded against, it, um, it never really worked out all that well. And as well, if you look at the reasons for taking on multiple wives, they really weren't all that great reasons either. So like, for example, um, Abraham, whenever he takes on uh, his, his second wife, was out of unfaithfulness that God was able to birth a child through Sarah. So he takes on uh, another wife. And, and so you would look at that and say, yeah, that's you know, out of unfaithfulness. That's a bad, that's a bad choice, right? Um, but yeah, it was not explicitly uh, commanded against, but it, again, it never really worked out too well, even to the point where um, like even Jacob had uh, his, some of his wives were, were bitter and arguing against each other. And oh, would you just want to be in that household during that? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. And so it never really worked out all that well. Um, but it was not explicitly uh, forbidden against until we have the Levitical law. And with the Levitical law, it says that a uh, priest um, cannot marry more than one wife. And so for priests, we find that um, polygamy is explicitly forbidden against. And then uh, later in the New Testament, uh, what we have is we have Jesus, um, whenever he, in Matthew 19, is asked about uh, marriage and, and really it's kind of a whole issue around marriage and divorce and everything. Um, he, he talks about their, the singleness of being one man and one wife. And then as well, what we find in the New Testament is two other things. We find um, the priesthood of all believers from 1 Peter 2, 9. Um, and so really, so we are all priests. Those of us who believe uh, are priests. And so that priestly law about um, being married to only one uh, spouse, that applies to us today because we are the priesthood of all believers. And then as well, we also find um, that a, um, a pastor, but also an elder or overseer or a church leader, if you will, is kind of interchangeably used together in the New Testament, are called to uh, be married to only one wife, to only have one wife. And, and so, um, so for all of those reasons, um, that's the best of my ability to explain it. Um, I think I'm right in most of that. Um, but, but yeah, in the Old Testament, for a period of time, it wasn't explicitly commanded against. 
whenever it was, it was with the priest. And then um, Jesus uh, talked about the one man, one woman. And then as well, there's pieces in the New Testament uh, that affirm that as well. So if that sort of makes sense. All right. Um, So with that, let's actually go uh, right into chapter 36. So, um, so, So we talked about Esau. Uh, being tremendously blessed, even though that he didn't quite get the birthright, even though he wasn't getting the full inheritance like Jacob, he's still going to get his share. And, and, and so what we find here in chapter 36, like the entire chapter lists the generations or a genealogy of Esau. And one thing that we're not going to do tonight is read every single one of these names, all right? Number one, because I'm going to mispronounce every single one of them for sure. Um, and it just wouldn't be beneficial because, you know, to us today, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not all that, um, it's not all that edifying to, to, to say to read this. But I'll point out a couple things. I'll point out this. Uh, verse six says this. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts and his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. For he went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings cannot support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So I'll pause here just for a second. And um, so what we find here is that uh, Esau... Um, it, basically, there's not enough room in this town for both Jacob and Esau. That's what we find here. And, and so uh, Esau is going to settle in the hill country of Seir. And Esau is Edom. So it means Edom. So, um, so that's why his descendants are also called the Edomites as well. And, um, and if you want to learn all about the Edomites, they're right here in Genesis 36, okay? You, you can read about all of these people and, uh, and who they are. Um, I, I will say that any time that we approach a genealogy in, uh, in Genesis, uh, we're reminded of, of, of just one, how historically accurate the Bible is. Um, you know, just, just about how... Um, these are real people that took place in a real time. Uh, there is kind of this idea out there that, um, that either the authors of the Bible just kind of made it up or that it was, it was just kind of like folk legend, if you will, and they're nice stories. They're like, you know, they're like nursery rhymes. They sound nice, but they didn't really happen. Um, but the Bible, when, especially whenever you approach a genealogy like this, no, these are real people. These are real names. And by the way, anytime there's ever been any sort of uh, archaeological dig or discovery, um, it's amazing how many times the Bible um, proves that these things actually happen. And, and so, uh, so really, you know, on your own, you could read these, and, um, and it would be uh, beneficial for you, but not for everyone here. So, uh, so I'll end with that. Um, let's go to uh, Genesis 37 just for a little bit. Uh, we probably won't get into the entire story of this, but uh, for five minutes we'll, we'll get into this. It says this, it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. So just as we had the generations of Esau, now we have the generations of Jacob. 
So Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhal and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Mmm, sibling rivalry. Don't you love it? Um, So what we have here is that, first of all, we have it clear that Joseph is the favorite of the family. All right? Now, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm the favorite of my family, all right? But you know what? Joseph, apparently, it was super crystal clear. Like, I remember as a kid, uh, we had uh, four kids, which, you know, for this day and age is like a lot of kids, you know? And so for, for us, we would always bug our parents, which one is your favorite? Which one is your favorite? And they would say, oh, we love you all equally. Probably at the time they were saying, you annoy us all equally, you know? <laughs> but that's what they would say. You, we love you all. We love you all equally. And we're like, mm-hmm. Like, one of them's the favorite, you know? We just don't know who. I was the favorite. For sure. For sure. For sure. But yeah, for, for Joseph, though, he was, he was the favorite. And I guess it was just kind of a known thing. And, and so, uh, so Jacob even makes him the special robe, the special technicolor coat of many colors, right? Um, and the brothers saw that they loved him more than all their brothers, including Rachel's other kid. Because again, remember, uh, Rachel, he kind of really kind of beloved her. And, and so it makes sense that, okay, Joseph is Rachel's. But also, he loved Joseph even more than Benjamin who also came from Rachel, including Benjamin. So, so essentially, we have this, this jealousy, this envy that sparks now. And I got to say, the, the last time that um, we spent some time in the Ten Commandments, I, I, I got to tell you that I was really kind of struck with the last two commandments, which has to do with jealousy. It has to do with coveting. And, and I guess for me, I kind of always had this picture that, that envy is a sin because it leads to other sins, which is true, right? In fact, we're going to find here that their envy is kind of the root of all of this, and it's going to transpire to sinful actions, okay? So, so yeah, I mean, envy leads to other sins, for sure. But I guess for me, recently I was so struck with, but it's not just that it leads to other sins, Envy in and of itself is a sin. And, and what it does to our hearts and what it does to our minds and the way that we interact with people, that that's, that's the consequence of that sin right there. And, and so for me, I was just overwhelmed this last time of just, of just the destruction of envy, even before you go out and you do something else. Just the amount of, of envy itself can overtake someone and, uh, and has this jealousy. And so, so this jealousy really kind of comes to a head in verse 5. It says this, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 6, He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. So it's like they would take um, you know, long leaves and kind of bundle them together uh, around their harvest, Okay. 
So we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Uh-oh. How's that? How's that going to work out? Uh, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then in verse 9, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So, you know, here we can think of the 11 stars being his brothers, but the sun and moon being his, his father and mother. Uh, probably at this point referring to uh, Leah because uh, his bio mom, Rachel, had passed. All right. Um, but when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother, again, probably Leah, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And so the reason he's rebuking him here is probably, you know, it's kind of a guess, but it's probably because of the commandment that, that we should honor our father and mothers, right? And, and, and so for, uh, for Jacob here, uh, he, he's, he's, kind of, he's, he's kind of a little bit uncomfortable with this because after all, the hierarchy is not that. It's not for the father to bow down to the son, but you know, it's the son to, I guess, bow down, but to honor, to have that respect, that authority to the father. And then in verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And so I'll just kind of uh, pause here and just to wrap up, I just want to end with one point here is that, so God communicated to Joseph through dreams. And later that's going to become uh, something very powerful for Joseph that's literally going to save uh, nations uh, through, through dreams. Uh, one of the um, cool things about today, though, is that since we have this, all right, and by the way, not just this, but um, the entire fulfillment of Scripture. So all the way about Jesus, the resurrection, you know, him coming again. Because we have all of that here today, this is the reliable way that God communicates to us, is through his word. Uh, back then, they did not have the fulfillment of scripture, so they used dreams. Um, but today, we have the fulfillment of it in God's words. And so just to caution you a little bit, just quick application. Uh, if you have a dream that contradicts God's word, you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself. How does that sound? All right. Might want to, and yes, that's what that phrase means. Um, but, but really that um, we don't have to rely on external dreams or, or even just gut feelings or, or I had this idea. Um, if it contradicts God's word, uh, you know, evaluate that for sure. This is the measuring tool, not just feelings or dreams or things like that. So I'll end with that little uh, bit of application. And we will pick up next week in verse 12. And so with that, let me uh, close in prayer. So, uh, dear Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, your gift here of, of Genesis, where uh, we learn about the, the patriarchs, and we learn about um, some of our fathers of the faith uh, all the way back um, these thousands of years ago. And, um, and where we can really learn about uh, Jacob, and we can really learn about uh, Joseph, and just this, this beginning of such an amazing story 
uh, of Joseph where his brothers just had this envy and they had this hatred towards him. And, and, and later how it's just going to transpire and something just clearly you are working through. And so, so God, we pray that as we uh, head home or we head into our work week, Lord, that we can take these things and we can apply them to our lives. And all this we pray. Amen. And as well.